Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, are we ready to go? Testing, testing, one, two, three, testing, testing. Yes, excellent, right. Thumbs up from Kate Lee. And when Kate Lee gives us the thumbs up you know that there is no time for shilly shallying or dilly dallying uh, this one comes in uh, from Catherine Downs it's about your dream would you like a dream explanation well, the, obviously I'm fascinated by this but I do wonder I mean I'm a narcissist but is there a, is there global interest in that weird dream I had I'm not sure there's always global interest in anything that we're talking about. So would you like to have your dream explained to you? Try, go on, try me. OK, here we go. Well, because you and I, we did a bit of amateur dream explaining. <laughs> Dear Jane and Fee, long-time expat listener in New York, I was thrilled to hear you describe Jane's dream in Monday's podcast on the spring equinox, no less what a corker. Mm. It seems full of meaning, perhaps brought on by your lovely relaxing spa day. Uh, right, here comes uh, Catherine's interpretation for what it's worth. The decomposing log represents things we need to let go of to release into the ground for composting. It's all good and creates fertile ground for new growth. The log splitting may indicate a resistance to letting things naturally fall away. I think actually, I think you could probably take a chainsaw <laughs> to that resistance. Yes. Perhaps feeling conflict or frustration about something the tortoise encourages slowing down to actually move a little slower than we're accustomed to, breathe deeper and practice this at every opportunity. This will allow us to align with our internal rhythms rather than being pulled around by outside pressures and the demands of life. Spending time in nature, putting bare feet on the ground, allows us to experience a solid connection to earth. And when we do this, we typically feel calmer and more centred. Uh, and Catherine goes on to say, it's also very beneficial to soak in the bath or stand in the shower and literally let it all wash over you, again moving slowly and breathing deeply. We're back to our two-hour shower. Yes. Um, this is, uh, she mentioned, Catherine mentioned the spring equinox, didn't yeah. she? I know, obviously, that only applies if you're in the hemisphere that we're in. Which is the northern. The northern. I was just checking in with you there because I, I just forgot that just for where, a second. Where am I? <laughs> where are we? You're at work. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, um, but everything does feel um, it's just freshening up a bit in uh, London. Certainly. Oh, hugely it's a gorgeous afternoon. Yeah. Uh, we're just looking because when we first started here, it was we were going right into winter. We were in sort of late October, weren't we? When we arrived, and it was always quite gloomy at this time. And this beautiful early evening sunshine peeking through the walkie-talkie mm. building opposite us. It's I've lovely. gone a bit too soon though because I'm exposing my ankles already. Yes, and I've, I've regretted noticed. that over yes. the last couple of days. But I'm wishing spring to be here because the blossom is out. Yes. The birds are up early. Oh my and god. I think they out. Yeah. Time up, to show out, an ankle. Shouting. Yeah. Yeah. Um but yes, thank you. I think that'll be the end of um talking about my dreams for a while. Uh, well, the, unless the tortoise comes back. Well, unless the tortoise makes another cover. And my diplomatic career seems to have ground to a halt. So since that unexpected posting to Bucharest uh, the night after the uh, exploding log dream, <laughs> there was nothing last night. If you're new to this podcast, it'd be uh, interesting if you decided to stay with it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it would. Oh, we were talking on the programme today about how you tell an older driver to pack it in. Um, and there was a really interesting text right at the end of the programme, we didn't have time to fit it in, from Maggie um, in Lyme Regis, who's a regular correspondent, just to say that her she had the most monumental tussle with her dad, who had been an advanced police driver. And so telling him that the time had come to pack in the driving was just incredibly difficult. And I can imagine it was. Anyway, just thought I'd mention that. Um, Lynn says, after listening to your podcast last night uh, with the Asma Khan interview, I have just watched that Netflix show, Chef's Table. It was great. Asma is a truly inspirational lady and it was fascinating to see her story unfold. Really uplifting. Um, the new music in the podcast is definitely a change for the better, says Lynn. And she's not alone in that sentiment. No, so there's been quite a lot of activity on Twitter from people saying, yep, that's a, that's a good thing. And one person saying it was absolutely terrible and they very much enjoyed the... Well, I mean, it was the kind of sensation you were about to go to a spin class, wasn't it? Which isn't us. It's very, very much not us. Yeah. Uh, can I just say a very quick hello and thank you uh, to... Actually, this might be difficult because I think it's one of those ones who's asked to remain anonymous. Well, can you just sort of dance around some of the finer points? Uh, yes, well, it was just a very thoughtful one. It's called uh, Running Out of Time to Walk Down the Aisle. And it's from one of our correspondents uh, who uh, just has a really fantastic relationship with her dad. Uh, I'm 26, my dad is 84, and despite a tempestuous relationship when I was a teenager and the radio silence between my parents since I was 14, my dad and I speak on the phone every single day and we range, often but not exclusively, from ready meals to Monty Don, the weather to Westminster, the A1 to Alexa, hello Alexa, that won't be annoying at all, mental health marmalade and his mortality. And she was writing in response to our listener who was struggling to make her decision about whether or not to try and walk down the aisle with her uncle, who has stage four cancer, uh, or to wait and have an enormous wedding that would obviously need an awful lot more planning. But it's just a really beautiful email, Jane, because uh, I think it is quite rare and almost impossible to be able to understand what it's going to feel like when someone who you really love is no longer there. Mm. It's just, you know, we wouldn't be able to keep going as human beings if we could imagine the sensation of grief. It is too unpleasant, disconcerting, mad and just sour. So you don't know until somebody's gone how much you love them. But this correspondent has just really thought about all of the things that she's going to want to have heard from her dad before her dad has passed away. So obviously uh, listening to the email being read out has really made her think about whether she should get married now before her dad, who isn't, 
you know, terminally no, ill. Ill. No. no. But, uh, you know, she's, I think, just sensible to realise that at 84, that is not a never-ending piece of string. Um, and she does say a couple of things things uh as a wedding caterer however supportive and wealthy your family are however brilliant your fiance is the organization of the big day is something that just is very stressful if you can and this is her advice to our correspondent free yourself from trying to make the perfect choice when such an important and emotional factor as your uncle's terminal illness is out of your control it's not a dilemma anyone who loves you would choose for you but it's so clear that you are so loved and all that love is so important and joyful in itself and she goes on to say i've made my peace with my own very different situation i've asked dad all the questions i can picture myself wanting to know the answers to and i've accepted there are some questions he won't be there to answer i know that the day i dread will have come in the not too distant future and if it helps i tell myself really there is no right or wrong answer and the original correspondent, Anonymous, who's wrestling with what to do about her wedding, has also uh, got back in touch to say, I just wanted to say how helpful the advice was regarding my dilemma. Answering my email meant a great deal to me, more than you can imagine. You validated my feelings and helped me not to dismiss the situation as inconsequential, something that I think is very easily done in situations like this, when one can be guiltily drawn to saying, surely there are bigger and more important things to worry about. So after listening to the advice, of your listeners i now love the idea of having an engagement party with my friends and a smaller more intimate ceremony and dinner with my close loved ones and i'll make sure that someone has cash on them to avoid your taxi dilemma fee thank you very much says anonymous so we're really glad that you're glad and thanks to everybody who chipped in with their own experience because it was brilliant. Very much so. Uh, can I just uh, give a little bit of a shout out to Liz who sent an incredibly thoughtful email all about that uh, and because her dad had been diagnosed with leukaemia uh, and has, had been very ill by the time she got to get married but he had managed to walk her down the aisle and she just ends by saying, well I still remember the bloody audio system, the crap microphones and his anxiety. I also remember seeing a room full of our dearest people who all witnessed my brilliant, clever and brave dad, his ravaged face, wonky smile, a bow tied to his stick, bossing it in his bandages. And she adds, oh, and I am still married, not yet divorced. <laughs> well, well done. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, thank you for keeping me company while I work on my laptop and cook sausages for small children. My dad would have loved you. Well, we would have loved him too, Liz. Yeah, uh, thank you, Liz. That's really sweet. Now, um, the controversy yesterday was only a mild controversy, but I'm going to mention it again. Oh, green because, crosses for pharmacies. I'm right. Yeah, and I, yeah. it's a rare but wonderful thing. Um, so, um, to be deep fair... Deep size. No, really no, to be fair, I understand why you thought this, but Fee and I were talking about... We had a, we'd had an email from a correspondent who's a Kentuckian, currently in the UK, and thanks to our wonderful uh, guidance, was able to navigate her way around the British shopping system uh, because she knew that Boots was a chemist. And um, Fee thought... <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I know, it is weird. Can I just say that I've just... There has never been anything in the window of a Boots that has made me think, that's not a chemist. It's just piled high with shampoo, chemistry things... It just never, it's not a confusing shop. I always associate Boots with the very first time I went out with a baby in a pram. It must have been, I don't know, in the early 
21st century and I couldn't believe that it had automatic doors and I was so relieved because I had been wondering how I was going to get into a shop. Oh, the first time that you try and get in with a pro did you have a proper pram? I had a, yeah, I can't remember, one of those. Is it a buggy or a pram? Oh, it was, oh, it, was a it was a proper, it wasn't a McLaren because I had a buggy. That just went missing, that buggy. I still think about that. Um, no, it was a pram. Yeah, because trying to get yeah. in a door with a pram because there's just so much out in front. It's all happening, isn't yep. it? It's really, and then you have to turn it round and it, I think it does. pull it back, yeah. It takes about three weeks to learn to get in and out of doors and up and down pavements. Because the first time that you bounce a pram, front wheels first down a pavement. <laughs> because when your baby is tiny in a pram, the baby slides. Slides about. <laughs> yes. And I remember thinking, I'm sure there must be some kind of a safety belt that I could, you a know. harness that you yeah. could. Well, they are. Well, they? they are on buggies, but oh, there yeah, aren't but in prams. In no, true. they just rattle around. Back to Charlotte, who's yeah, sorry. In, she's in Vancouver, um, reboots. Green crosses are the symbols of pharmacies only in Europe. I've seen them in France and the UK, uh, but it isn't a thing in North America. So no, a Canadian or an American wouldn't necessarily know that Boots is a pharmacy, unless, like me, they've got English rallies. OK, I just I don't want to start a war over this, but oh. Charlotte, I think that you would. I just think that you well, would. Well, I'm not certain. I just don't think you'd ever think I'm going to pop in there because it looks like they're selling shoes. They've just done a cunning disguise in the window of shampoo, conditioner, elastoplast, an umbrella and some chewing gum. But I bet they actually sell boots at the back. Elastoplast? What's that? <laughs> don't. If I mocked your accent... No, it's very funny, actually, because my... Um, You've, you seem to think it's funny no, to my mine. I wonder whether anyone else from Liverpool will be able to relate to this. My um, maternal grandmother was a Scouser, Irish, uh, Irish Scouser, but she, um, she, she would only ever use the short A, except when she talked about plasters. Plasters. She weirdly said yeah. plasters, and I don't think it was unknown in that generation. Anyway, just a weird thing. Uh, just suddenly remembered it. Thank you for doing mm. that. Can I just also say, before we leave the buggy conversation, yes. I remember once, uh, so this would have been back in five live days um i know maybe it wasn't no i had my babies at radio four anyway you had your babies at radio <laughs> four. Oh, they do they provide everything don't they they just let it happen in reception or i <laughs> <laughs> would you think we've slagged the place off really you've got a cheek well i think now it's probably the room that's dedicated to amal rajan's naps it was a birthing pool room <laughs> oh that's where you had yeah it. for those of us uh the, uh, I remember there being a story about how forward-facing buggies yeah. were bad for your babies because they denied your baby the opportunity to be looking back at you. Well, I can see the logic in that. Well, I remember reading it and just and just thinking, it was probably my second child by then, just thinking, stop it. Stop it with your stories about how mm. we're letting our babies down. It was kind of like, it's just, that's just ridiculous and yeah. too much. Of all of the things that are going to mess up your kids, the fact that they couldn't see your occasionally smiley, but maybe sometimes a little bit exasperated face, out and about on your daily ventures to the pharmacy where you accidentally bought some ankle boots, <laughs> just struck me as just being a bit too much, Jane. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. I, I do. And I'm sorry you had that experience. Thank you. Because those those weeks of a child's life, early life, are very stressful yeah and also just stop it with the make mums yeah, feel bad you, about you've never felt things. more vulnerable in yeah. fact i've i've been listening to there's a very good bbc podcast i've got to be honest about the um about the iraq war uh, which was caused 20 years ago and uh, it's it's excellent it's called oh god it's called shock and war yes shock and war that's yeah. right and it's absolutely brilliant and and it brought back 
I was going to say it brought back memories, but it also taught me a lot. Were you um, in the military? No, no, I wasn't. But I just because I'd had a baby at the beginning of February in two thousand and three, so I was simply out of it. I wasn't at work, obviously, and I truly was not getting any sleep. And I do not remember very much about that period of my life, if I'm honest, except that I was just knackered and, and quite upset most of the time. And listening to this podcast has brought some of those w- quite weird memories back, but it's fantastic. So if anybody is, is young enough not to know anything about the Iraq war or, like me, needs a reminder of what really happened and why, I do recommend that. Yeah. On a similar vein, but not quite so high-minded, there's a certain period of time in the... EastEnders plot line between 2006 and 2007, which I can quote almost word for word, but nothing else. Because you were at home. Because, you know, when you start breastfeeding, you just have to lock on to something while they latch on to you, don't you? So I watched a lot of EastEnders then. But it's one of those weird things. You know, it, it might be my specialist subject on Celebrity Mastermind if they'll allow me to just do three months of the EastEnders plotline. Well, I, I mean, I know they're desperate for you, but I'm not sure they'd be that adaptable. I don't know. I just want to mention Claire's email about her daughter, Becca, who is the pharmacist at a lovely pharmacy in Rusthall in Kent. It sounds like an idyllic village in Kent. And it does indeed have a green cross outside. However, that standard of a green cross is complicated. It has to have the Green Cross, and either the word pharmacy or pharmacist as well. It has been used on continental Europe since the early 20th century, but only in the UK since 1984. Mm. Isn't that interesting? You think like, things like that have been forever, around forever, but, but not. No, rather. I'm losing the ability to speak English. I think it's since that giant tortoise took control of my life. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for that. I appreciate I it. I to think what happens at the autumn equinox. <laughs> Stay tuned. (laughs) Uh, So we had a very interesting guest on the programme today, Stella O'Malley, who's a psychotherapist, public speaker, teen whisperer and parent herself. And everything that you need to know about what's in the interview is in the title of her book, which is called What Your Teen Is Trying to Tell You. Uh, It is a very useful handbook designed for parents uh, to try and better understand uh, their teens. And it's got quite a lot of case studies in it uh, from Sheila O'Malley's psychotherapy rooms uh, and then some quite handy kind of takeaway advice on what you should actually do if you think that your teens are in trouble. So we started off the interview by asking her if she would accept that we are at a crisis point for teens across the globe because they're caught in the glare of technology, they might have been damaged by the lockdowns of the pandemic, and they've definitely been saddled with a future that seems to be diminishing in many ways, i.e. can things get any worse? Yeah, I I do think that it's very hard to be a teenager at the moment. I think it's actually lovely childhood that we give children. I think it's 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 uh, magical and very, very pleasant, filled with, you know, fairy tales and Santa and Legoland. And then they 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 hit a, a brick wall around puberty. And there's a kind of a reckoning of no more Mr. Nice Guy. All that wishing on a star was frankly just a fairy tale we told you. And they're hit with a very complex reality very fast. I think it's kind of too fast and it's too big a drop because we've given them such a fairy tale childhood. And then they're in this complex kind of sophisticated world where, you know, social media is very complicated, obviously, but also there's an awful lot of behavioural expectation. And so all the fun ballet and the fun kind of swimming and whatever they did up until about 11 or 12 suddenly gets very competitive, very fast. 
And they realize in a very bitter pill that life isn't fair, that the good guys don't always um, uh, win, that sometimes bullies are very popular and very good looking. And sometimes the nice people are, are left behind. So I think a, an awful reckoning happens between 10 and 20. And I think at the moment, it's particularly difficult to be a, an adolescent. We're about 10 years into social media. It's it's going badly for them. There's an awful lot of mental health issues around adolescents. And because there's so many, you can't say it's them. It's something about society and the way we're handling adolescents isn't working out. Mm. And there's a different kind of dynamic, isn't there, between the teenage generation and any adult generation that's gone before, because we have not really experienced what they've experienced. And that does diminish our ability to say to them, I know what's best for you. Yeah, there's a disconnect because we can't quite imagine what it's like to have everything online, to have all those embarrassing situations like your first kiss put online and to have such an emphasis on looks. We all probably remember how vain we became as teenagers, how obsessed we were with our hair or our nose or our bodies. They have it a million times worse. Like we are so much more conscious of our looks now and they are landed into it at a young age with selfies and photos and it's really heavily emphasised about their looks. They do all look beautiful, but they're also very anxious with it. So in a way, their looks have improved because there's so much effort going in. But the mental health has massively disimproved because there's so much self-consciousness and tension around their looks and around their brand almost, how they look online, how they how they come across, whether they're witty or sassy or goofy or whatever mm. kind of a brand persona they're kind of putting across for likes and shares and I, I think it's really hard on them I really do think it's really hard on them so if we've got parents who are listening this afternoon who are saying yep that's who I've got in my household at the moment and they are worried about their teens yeah. what do you advise them to do and say well I suppose I think First of all, I have every sympathy for parents and I know how hard it is. And they're constantly hearing people like me saying, oh, this is what you should do and this is what you should do. So I do kind of give that grain of salt. I think it's pebbles in a barrel. I think you just regularly kind of have faith in yourself that your love will carry through, that you 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 keep trying to connect with them, but not in the kind of Hollywood motivational speech kind of way. More along the lines of I made you a cup of tea, you look a bit down and you leave. You know, you don't expect a big heart to heart from the teenagers because they're not that's not where they're faced. They're faced online. They're faced to their social kind of peers. They're facing away from their parents. But if you were there as backup, sometimes seeing that they're, they don't look very happy and they don't seem very happy and you've made them their favorite dinner because you know that they love it. And you kind of given little gestures, like I say, pebbles in a barrel, just little gestures that will eventually fill up that you're there. You're not intruding. But you are seeing that they seem to be having a hard time. There's something about that that is very powerful. I remember actually when I was a teenager and I, I did have a very difficult teenagehood. I was pretty mad. And my mother, she didn't I didn't get on well with my mother, but uh, she could clearly see I was going a bit mad. And I was pacing in my bedroom and she opened the bedroom door and she just threw. It was a marathon at the time, but it's a Snickers now. She threw it as if she was throwing meat to a lion. And it kind of sailed across the room and landed on my bed. And I kind of looked at it and then she left. But it was a lovely gesture and I've always remembered it. She couldn't connect with me. She didn't get on with me. She could see I was in distress. 
didn't know what was going on. And it was kind of like a gesture of solidarity. And actually, it was very touching at the time. We as parents aren't prepared to allow our teenagers to be very unhappy, which on the one hand is a very good thing. Maybe that's, you know, the benefit of how parenting has changed. But on the other hand, that is damaging too, isn't it? Because being unhappy, facing hardship, getting things wrong, it's, it is just an essential, essential part of life. And better to learn that when you're still at home under some kind of care of an adult than out in the big wide world. Yeah. You know, in many ways, um, we, we, we are just, we are, frightened of our children's distress. We're, we've got heard so much about mental health, and I say this as a psychotherapist, but we're, we're frozen in the face of our children's tears. And so we can feel very fast that we should just barrel them off to the professionals rather than leaning in and saying, what is it and what could, could I do anything to help? I do think that we have kind of disempowered parents in many ways and made a professional kind of pathologization of ordinary human adolescent angst, which is good and proper. Like they say, you know, adolescence is there to break the spell of childhood. Childhood happens. It's very sweet and it's kind of filled with fakery. Adolescence happens. The the stark reality of life comes in, which which has beautiful moments, but there's a heavy lesson to learn about unfairness and how unfair life is. And it can hit teenagers and they can feel really distressed and really unhappy. And I think in a way we need to be able to kind of handle that as opposed to presume that there's something wrong that needs to be fixed. It's more along the lines of bearing witness and saying, yeah, it is hard. And life is so mind boggling difficult sometimes. And yet it can still be fun and it can still have moments of joy and you can still enjoy yourself today. So we're kind of it's a complicated message that. You know, it took me many years to kind of adjust to the unre- to the reality of life. So in fairness to them, there's no doubt that they have a very good case to say adolescence is very difficult. And our job is a bit of sympathy without being over overblown about it and without being afraid of the fact that they are learning bitter lessons in adolescence. Stella, do you, do you worry that this very, very anxious generation will grow into very anxious middle-aged people, and then one day, very anxious pensioners. Is, is that what we're looking at? Isn't that the question? I don't know, because I do know that they're very anxious. They don't want to grow up. It seems like the first generation who don't have any kind of need to grow up because they're like, it's handy. I'm in my bedroom. I've got as much freedom as I want because I don't want much freedom. And frankly, I'd rather stay at home online because it's very distracting in a kind of vaguely entertaining way. I've no mad desire to move out and move beyond because I feel anxious out in the big bad world because I haven't really been sold it because it just basically looks like an admin nightmare (laughs) being an adult. (laughs) And we haven't sold them adulthood and they are buying into it. They're saying, yeah, no, don't want to be out there. It's too hard. I don't like to buy into moral panics and I've no doubt the resilience of humankind is is very strong. So there might be a backlash. Certainly, you know, after the Spanish flu came, came the roaring 20s, maybe after COVID there will come something. I don't know, but I do think that there's a very worrying proportion of young people with anxiety Mm. who are afraid of life, afraid of growing up. And I think we do have to lean into this and admit it and realize that we are really frightening young people at the moment. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You're listening to Off Air with Jane and Fee. Our guest is Stella O'Malley, a psychotherapist, public speaker. She does an awful lot of work with teens, and she's the author of four books, the latest of which is called What Your Teen Is Trying to Tell You. So we went on to talk about the big stuff, and we asked, is it easy to retrain a young man who started his sexual journey by seeing anger, violence, choking, and submission in porn? Yeah, it, it is, but it will require a lot of commitment and a lot of effort and it won't be done easily. It's almost like if you want to lose, you know, five stone, you have to take time. You have to be very committed. You really have to put in the work and that person really needs to want it. That isn't minor, but it could be done. How much do you think parents are talking to their teenagers about the reality of porn so when you see teenagers in your psychotherapy practice is that the first time that they've discussed what they're witnessing with a grown-up very often it is and i think it's very very awkward for parents there's also almost a natural evolutionary kind of privacy between parents and and children talking about sex and Even parents who are very, very open, the child shuts them down saying, I don't want to talk about it with you, anybody but you. So in fairness, we have to remind ourselves of that. And there's an awful lot of opportunities in books and in, you know, YouTube videos, nice ones, which would actually be very educational. But yeah, porn, hardcore porn, it's an awful, awful issue among teenagers. You know, I know of teenage girls and the boys are watching the porn beside them on the bus every single day just to see the reaction and so much kind of really rough choking, hitting, gagging that they're seeing. It's it's horrible on both for boys and girls. It's it's really, really, really horrible. Their introduction to sex. It's very kind of unromantic. I know I sound old fashioned, but it really is. It's very transactional and rough. Yeah. And very difficult then to actually enjoy a normal relationship with its basic level of friendship, you know, top notes of physicality. That's such a massive problem now, isn't it? it? There's a lack of fun. 
you know, there's an awful lot of emphasis on their looks and he's good looking, and he's buff and I'm good looking, whatever. And photos are exchanged. But there is there, there's a massive lack of fun and giggles and kind of getting on with somebody and, you know, you know, your hands touch all of that. It's, it's kind of done a lot more online where it feels more comfortable and less vulnerable, but it's a lot less exciting and a lot less fun. And they're missing out significantly if they're building the relationship online. It's it's a really it's a you know, it's a fake, it's a facsimile yeah. of romance and sex. I think they're really missing out on that. Uh, with regards to technology, something that obviously we can't ignore in the teenage world at all, how would you deal with a teenager who you think has become completely addicted to yeah. to tech? I think it's important that you call it. I think you do need to kind of say, I think there's unhealthy habits. I wouldn't let you eat junk food in the morning. I wouldn't let you drink vodka in the morning. I'm not going to let you be online all day, every day. And this is going to be difficult. And I know you're not buying into it, but I'm buying into it. And I'm the parent and I'm going to use my authority. With that, you might say no tech in certain rooms, like let's say no tech in the kitchen, no tech in the bedrooms. And I know some people will immediately say, I have to have tech in the bedrooms. You pick it in your own household where you're going to say no tech, but some rooms should be tech free and some times of the day should be tech free. And you make your hard line your own hard line. I don't know what that is, depending on the household. And, you know, very much kind of small habits, micro habits. You start with one maybe one room and that's all you're going to do. And you wait until you've got that in to do the next one. I do think, though, that young teenagers, that parents should be monitoring their content, that they should be. I know this is controversial, but I do think that they should know the passwords and they should check and verify. I think it's too adult to be online without parental kind of authority over it, especially in young teens I'm talking about, not rather than the older teens. They seem to have learned sense around about 15, 16 and they kind of know kind of what to do and what not to do. But before that, it's it's really wild. Stella O'Malley is a psychotherapist. Uh, she specialises in teens at the moment. And her latest book is called What Your Teen Is Trying To Tell You. I really love her little anecdote about her mum just walking past her bedroom and just chucking in, throwing a Snickers in, just yeah. like, yep, that's what you need. No point talking about it. Like chucking fish at yeah but as she said you know just yeah. meet it in the, into the lion's den but but that's such a canny thing to do as well isn't it because it avoids that setting of the stage i'm your parent and i'd like you to sit down i'm going to impart wisdom to you would you like to look into my eyes i'm different to you but we're similar i love you you know all of that going on it's just like yeah have chocolate you might feel better but i'm really really glad that we did a talk about porn because it's oh god it's so difficult but it's I find it just deeply depressing that violent porn is just a fact of life in the everyday lives of incredibly young, vulnerable children. And so many young boys will, as as, as Stella said, they, the first time that they have that notion of what is pleasing to them and pleasing to women if they're sleeping with women, the first time they have an open conversation about that with a grown-up is when it's got so bad they have got to see a therapist. So that is really bad. Something has, you know, really spilled over into the rest of their life for an adult to identify that they need psychotherapy to help them. Mm. And I think I'm right in saying that porn and sex addiction is one of the largest growing 
problems within the therapy community for which people are trained you know to deal with so becoming a sex therapist uh, is an increasingly common choice to make and you do think how do you work your way back from that to the really mundane rather boring a little bit uh, not sure if this is going to work not sure if anyone's going to like this act of normal intimacy well, I mean, it's not that long ago that teenagers would build up to a sweaty snog at the end of the disco. Oh, and there was there were just stages, weren't there? Oh my goodness! That were recognised, recognised stages of snoggery by everybody. Yes. Yep. Yep. Did, did totally. You, yeah, but let's not go there. But everybody knows. Everybody of our generation will know what we're talking about. Yeah. And I'm not saying those days were perfect, but honestly, I think they were probably marginally safer and quite a lot more fun. Well, I th- I'm sure they were. I'm yeah, sure they were. Right. I'm sure. I mean, but I, you know, I know it's just so difficult, and I, I no idea what I. I don't have sons. I, have I had conversations about porn with my children? Ish. Have they wanted to engage with me? Not really. And so on and on we go. Mm. With but we keep we keep talking, not least on Times Radio, about the online harms bill. It hasn't gone. It hasn't been passed yet, no. has it? Um, I don't suppose that even if it is passed, it will actually change anything about thirteen-year-old and twelve-year-old, eleven-year-olds seeing images of well, violent sexual acts. Which well, it will attempt to because what it, one of the will things, it, how will yeah, it stop it? Because it is trying to put a uh, age limit uh, that is. Uh, it, it will be a criminal offence for an internet provider or any kind of a platform not to verify the age of its users. So it's a gatekeeper, you know, it's changing the gatekeeper. So a 12-year-old on the school bus will not be able to see images? Well, of- they'll be able to get round it because uh, teens can always find a way to get round the technology. But I think your point about the actual discussion of porn, because, of course, you want to try and limit children's access to actually seeing any of those images in the first place. But surely uh, an essential, I I would argue, a more important part of their education is actually found out through conversation about what it is. Because porn, not seeing porn, is not going to inform you about the dangers of seeing porn. No. Only a conversation about it and the ramifications of it are going to do that. And if we as parents can't sit down and have that conversation because of our own ignorance prudery embarrassment whatever it is uh that uh, i mean that's just on us isn't it no one's going to be able to legislate for that no i mean i sometimes just wish the mobile bloody phone had never been invented oh me too i really do um just very briefly we had a very interesting email from a listener called joe who has says that she's just heard the women of the world podcast with our guest june oscar um, and um, our correspondent has an adopted daughter who has fetal alcohol syndrome, and she's just suggesting that it's a topic that needs a wider discussion, so please could we feature it on the radio programme. So I think we will, actually. I think it's a good idea, um, because it is, um, it, it's definitely something that can have a lifelong impact on a person, and it's well worth discussing. So thank you very much for that suggestion. We had quite a few suggestions, actually, didn't we, for that? Mm. So, yes, we should definitely pursue it. Okay. well, I'm going to hand it over to Kate, and we'll make sure. Now, tomorrow is Boris Johnson Goes to the Privileges Committee Day. So our podcast will still be happening, and we will have a guest, won't we? 
Tony Robinson is going to come in a little bit early and we're going to do what we call in the trade a pre-rec. Don't give away all the showbiz secrets. A pre-rec. No, we must keep... It's not the Wizard of Oz. All this is real. Let's keep that veneer of showbiz. But it does mean that we will then be able to uh, man ourselves in the studio. Can we man ourselves? I I don't know. It doesn't sound very nice. (laughs) And I'd rather you didn't do it in front of me, if you don't mind. Uh, But you did promise earlier to bring in biscuits. (laughs) Actually, we shouldn't. This is a very serious, important news story. And the fact that we're just treating it as a chance to eat biscuits in a warm place is a disgrace. I'm not. I'm I'm suggesting that we are manning the station. That's what I'm trying to get to between uh, our normal hours of three and five. But Times Radio has taken the whole jing-bang shoot. Yes. From it's two had, o'clock onwards, you won't miss a moment. It's had a big build-up, this. Yep. So if it's turgid crap, um, then I, what can you do? Right, OK. Um, have a very good evening, everybody. <laughs> we'll reconvene tomorrow. You did it. Elite listener status for you for getting through another half hour or so of our whimsical ramblings, otherwise known as the hugely successful podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. We miss the modesty class. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler, the podcast executive producer. It's a man. It's Henry Tribe. Yeah, he's an executive. Now, if you want even more, and let's face it, who wouldn't, then stick Times Radio on at three o'clock Monday until Thursday every week, and you can hear our take on the big news stories of the day, as well as a genuine interesting mix of brilliant and entertaining guests on all sorts of subjects. Thank you for bearing with us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.